Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and Gav Buckland with a chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as ever, a couple of days on from the Chelsea defeat, plenty to get our teeth stuck into, and mainly from a very, very lively press conference with Carlo Ancelotti. Plenty of information, plenty of news, plenty of opinion of the, from the Everton manager who was in the lively form sparkling form some may say and um, Preno, just generally you watched you just watched that press press and recording shortly after it finished um certainly one of the longest i think he's, he's ever done as everton manager but yeah. just seemed, just seemed to be enjoying himself he did he looked like he was really having fun didn't he um he, he was laughing he was smiling even the uh the little you know sort of hand grenades that managers get tossed you know so a, a footballer for argument's sake posts um a comment on social media cryptic comments talking about Alex Iwobi and uh, you know what's the player in his preferred position and we don't know whether that's for Nigeria or for Everton but given the fact he's played right wing back left wing back right wing left wing for Everton I think we can safely assume he's got a little bit of uh, frustration at where he's playing and Carlos is laughing he said yeah 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 I'd like him to tell me his preferred position you know I want to know I'm his manager let him tell me please and then he magnificently threw in the words Andrea Perlo <laughs> he says but when I selected Perlo as a holding midfielder I asked him if he was happy to play there, and he was, which was you know, quite priceless, I thought, comparing uh, Alex Iwobi with Andrea Pello, and that's not to be you know, sort of down on Alex Iwobi too much. So, yeah, there was that, and there was lots of other, you know, Hamas Rodriguez injury questions, the, the weekly question about uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamin. And it just looked like he was, like, sort of knocking them all back, you know, sort of quite, uh, not contemptuously, just, you know, sort of in, in knockabout fashion. He was having fun. Lots of information contained in the press conference. You know, he, he answered the questions as honestly as he could do normally. But yeah, I enjoyed it myself. I thought it was like a really nice feel to it. It was quite uh, quite lighthearted. Um, we'll, we'll, I mean, we're going to talk about Iwobi anyway, but I think we might as well just go go into it. Um, add, you know, we put that post out on Instagram, you know, hopefully get to play in my preferred position. And I've got a little bit of sympathy for Alex, you know, in terms of having to play a defensive right wing role type thing against Chelsea and it clearly doesn't suit him but you know jokes aside what is his best position I think that's that for me for me almost feels the eternal debate about it will be what is his best position I think that's that's the issue that we've got at Everton isn't it is that we probably haven't seen that you know he's he's been moved around the side so much you know popping up on the on the right wing you know most of last season he was probably Playing on the left hand side, you know, he's been playing in attacking midfield as well, of course, uh, uh, under that little spell under Marco Silva. So we've not really at Everton seen him have uh, that sort of you know, extended run at just one position in the side. Uh, I think when he was talking about his preferred position, I think he's probably talking about attacking midfield because looking back at some quotes that he's had back when he was at Arsenal, he said he's always uh, considered himself to be like a central sort of midfielder. And over the last in two or three years looking back at uh, 
at his Nigeria career, he's been played essentially exclusively at attacking midfield. I think he had maybe one game where he played left wing instead, but other than that, it has exclusively been an attacking midfield. And, you know, for, for, for your country, you know, it, that probably would be your preferred position. And, you know, if they've got the opportunity to give him that extended run at that role in the sides, then, you know, that's probably why he enjoys playing there. But, you know, <laughs> despite what Carlo Ancelotti said about, you know, saying, oh, if he wants to play number 10, then I I, I can play him there. Is he going to is he gonna get in? <laughs> you know, well, we've got well, James Rodriguez who's been playing there recently. You know, well, I, I let's, let's also bring the listeners up to speed in case they haven't seen, seen the stuff. He also said if he wants to play number nine, he can play there. I mean, let's steady on, Carlo. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, we're all full of the joys. He's got that Friday feeling, but I think he went a little bit too far there, didn't he? Yeah, and that, but that's what I mean. You know, I, I would argue that probably the best performance still that I've seen a Wogan put in, in, in at Everton probably was in attacking midfield when he played against uh, West Ham in that in that home game a couple of years ago. I think, yeah. to be honest, the Brighton game when he came off the bench this season and played left wing, wing that probably comes close. Uh, playing right wing back against uh, Fulham probably comes close as well. But I think that probably sums it up, doesn't it? You know, it's, I've listed probably what I think are his top three uh, Everton performances and they're all in different positions. So, you know, versatility is obviously a quality that Carlo Ancelotti is going to like up to a point. But, you know, when you're a you know, 24-year-old lad like Alex Kowobi is, it does come to the point now where you, where you think, you know, for him, he probably will say, right, I, I do have a preferred position and, you know, I, I want to be played in there more often than, more often than not. And I think, you know, it's, it's something that's, Similar, I would say, with Richarlison. You know, Richarlison's often said, you know, I want to play central up front. That's my preferred position. You know, he's obviously versatile and can play everywhere, but that's his preferred position. And I think probably Iwobi's the same. But as I say, I just don't think he's going to be able to force his way into that area of the pitch for Everton at the minute, especially with the form that Sigurdsson's in and, you know, the potential for Hamas Rodriguez to play there as well. So I just don't see how Iwobi gets in there for me. Well, Gav Adam mentioned this for Charlton, and I was going to ask you this anyway. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even last week, Carlo was talking about Richarlison's best position and said clearly, Richarlison, I know he likes to play number nine, but he's never come and asked me to play that. Now, he, now he's saying Hiwobi has never come and asked him to play in a certain position. Do you think that there's a little bit of a fear factor, or is it just this ultimate respect that they're not actually willing to sort of go up to Carlo, knock on his door and say, I'm not happy playing where I'm playing, or is it, uh, I'm just happy to play for Carlo, I'll just play wherever, but, you know, I'm, I'm just intrigued by the sort of psychology yeah. of it. <laughs> the Anthony Gordon approach, you mean? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, a bit of a... I, I, I didn't see press conference, but I've read it, you know. I, I thought Carlo was... In, when he's seen him biting, it may have been completely different in person. But he looked quite bad, to be honest with you, what he, what he said. Yeah. Um, you know, um, like he, you know, he's 24 of Obi, so he's, you know, he's not, not 20, is he? He's not an Anthony Gordon at the start of his career. He's been playing for four or five years now, hasn't he? Um, so, yeah, why don't players do it? Um, in Saston 1, um, I think maybe there's a little bit of respect there for Carlo. I, I don't know. I, 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 if I was a player... I, I, I think that could, Carlo comes across as reasonably approachable, doesn't he? You know, Absolutely. I find it I find it strange that my player would be uncomfortable on broaching, you know, um you know, where he should be playing with, with Carlo. Um, 
And also, it's not, you know, it's not Sir Alex Ferguson. I doubt he's going to give you the hairdryer, is he? Um, to be fair. And all good managers are welcome feedback, don't they? So I don't know why that is. I mean, I know we're going to talk about uh, David, like, but he's the other option, isn't he? You're a member of the coaching staff. Um, so a bit of a strange one. Um, sometimes you don't know what the conversations are being out there, though, really. Maybe they have, Maybe, you know, awesome. indirectly or hinted at it. You, you don't know, do you, really? No. Um, I think there's a difference between saying, Carlo, you know, I, I mind, you know, I wouldn't mind having to go down the middle, guards and Carlo, play me down the middle on Saturday. <laughs> I demand I play there, you know. They're too yeah. slightly, I think, maybe he was thinking of the, the latter latter option there, you know. I find yeah, it strange yeah. why a player wouldn't want to we'll talk about that with Carlo, to be fair. I mean, he's yeah. made his career on that, hasn't he? Uh, to yeah. be fair, his style of management wins to that. Um, something or nothing, maybe, but it was quite, but it was quite interesting his comments about who will be. Yeah, well, and, and, and maybe because as as, as Gav says, Preno, you know, he has he has made his manage his managerial career based on on that level of relationship he has with the players. So maybe he feels a little bit not um, not perturbed, but can't understand why somebody wouldn't come and, and, and approach him because he is he is approachable. He is that kind of guy. You know, I'm, I, you know, talking about Sir Alex Ferguson hair dry treatment. In my mind, Carlo invites you into the office for a cappuccino and talk, let's talk about it. <laughs> but, Maybe. I mean, I get the impression that there is definitely hidden steel there. There's got to be, you know, so otherwise you can't be a manager as successfully oh, yeah. as, as successful as he is. Clearly, he's a very, you know, sort of uncular, laid back individual. I mean, he was also asked about his relationship with Sean Dyche, because uh, uh, based on the fact that Sean Dyche had described him as a class act. And I think all managers feel that way and seem to get on very well with him because of his charm and because of his, his demeanour. Well, just the way you reply to some of those questions, and certainly the Alex Iwobi question, you get the impression that there is like a, a harder edge there. As Gav says, you know, whilst the um, the, the outward exterior was, was smiley and you know laughing and joking, the words themselves, uh, I'm going to tell him. I want him to tell me. You tell me where's your preferred position. You know, so I need to know. I'm your manager. You tell me. And so it's almost like he was a little bit irked, you know, so by reading this. And I get the impression now. I'm completely guessing. But you think that Alex Iwobi will just say, oh, no, 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 Gaffa, I was talking about Nigeria. They, they play me on the, you know, sort of middle <laughs> of the time. I want to play left wing like I do for you. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're going far too deep and down this amateur psychology here. But almost, is, he, is it a thinly veiled challenge? Is Iwobi too quiet? Is he too timid? Does Carlo want to see more personality? And, and, and does he want him to be a bit more of him, of him true self. That's, and... that's a good point, yeah, possibly. I mean, you want strong characters in your team, don't you? And how many times have we discussed on this uh, podcast that, you know, we don't think Everton have got enough leaders in the squad, um, you know, they're not enough vocal characters. Maybe he wants to try and pull that out in a little bit more. Could be. Uh, it could be quite entertaining. But, yeah, just bottom line is we don't need another number 10. And if, if, we do another, <laughs> if we do need another number 10, then it could be more qualified candidates than Alex Iwobi at the moment. Indeed, the summer of number 10s. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, we could talk about the hidden meaning to the, uh, behind Carlo's answer to, uh, to one question uh, all day, but there were several answers that need addressing. Um, not good news, Adam. Uh, Abdullah Decore. The rumours were rife across the weekend. Monday evening after the Chelsea game, Carlo simply described it as an important injury and um, they would have to see. He's now given us further clarity, confirmation that it's a small fracture of his foot. Um, our information on as of Monday morning was that the club were looking at six to eight weeks. Carlos actually says it now could be eight to ten. I mean, it's actually got the worst case scenario seems to have got worse. Yeah, yeah, it's, re- it's really disappointing, isn't it? Uh, he, at this rate, he'll be he'll be only coming back for the FA Cup final at the end of the season. <laughs> 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 but, uh, he's he's a big player to miss, isn't he? I think we we probably noticed that very much against. Uh, against Chelsea, you know, that sort of that sort of dynamism and box to box sort of nature that he can bring was uh, distinctly absent, I would say, against Chelsea, especially just in terms of getting us up the other end of the pitch. You know, after we'd after we'd gone that one goal down, you know, we needed somebody to be able to pick up the ball from deep and be able to run those like 30, 40 yards with it, which Decore's been very good at doing over the past few months. Uh, so I'm hoping that that uh, that Chelsea game isn't an indication of what we're going to see over the next few weeks. Hopefully, we'll be able to come up with some sort of better system. You know, now that Tom Davis is fit, for example, hopefully we'll be able to come up with some sort of better system to deal with his absence. And to be fair, Carlo did say, you know, we've dealt with the absence of Alan and we've already dealt with the absence of Luca Dean as well. So we've got previous for dealing with these injury problem problems this season quite well. So fingers crossed we'll be able to do that again. But yeah, it, it is a big player to be missing, you know, for what is the business end of the season as well. And mm. um, Gavin Prenn, I will ask you to, to talk specifically about Decore because we did we did on Monday. But Gav, in terms of finding a solution, and I asked Carlo this question in in a separate section of the press conference, and you can read his answer tonight or, or, or in the morning. I said to him, Carlo, you adapted without Luca Dean with Ben Godfrey playing left back. You adapted without Alan because Tom Davis largely filled the role. Yeah. But is there another is there another player like Decore in the squad to to fill the gap? Now I won't give away the answer, but do you feel as though this actually might be the biggest test of Carlo's managerial ability this season? Because it feels to me, it feels to me as though there isn't a natural replacement there for Decore. Yeah, as much as uh you know, with Mark Carlo and stuff, I'm not sure whether we're comparing apples and pears, aren't we, to previous, uh, you know, previous injuries and sort of covering for them uh, in that there's no, there's no like-for-like replacements out there. Um, we haven't got two decorators, unfortunately. I, I, well, we, we spoke a little bit about this on Monday, but there is one option if he was fully fit, because Alan is not necessary. Alan is not naturally a hold midfielder, isn't he? He he is more of a a more mobile midfielder, and you would think if he was fit, fully fit and fine on all cylinders, that actually 
he could do more of a box-to-box role because we've seen him in and around the opposition box and he uses the ball well, doesn't he? You know, in the final third, he's not going to get into the, you know, the, he's not going to get on the edge of the, the, the six-yard box like the four edge of the um, Old Trafford. Um, but he is, he's not a natural holder midfielder, Alan, is he? he? He can play a little bit more box-to-box, but I just don't think his fitness at the moment uh, just, you know, justifies that. Um, which leaves us back to, you know, we have to change the formation and play probably 4-2-3-1 uh, with Alan and Davis holding and um, uh, I've got to say <laughs> number 10, we will probably have all been number 10 probably, uh, <laughs> you know, 4-2-3-1 with, um, with Richarlison, Sigurdsson, you know, did I say he's not upset Carlo too much of Obi or, or Hammers Played the goddies fit, um, you know, uh, so uh, something like that with obviously DCL up front. We, we I don't, you know, four three three. Not sure, um, to be honest with you, because um, we we saw that last week. Did saw that classic in last week in the uh, the first half, didn't we at West Brom where we played the sort of flashes flashes midfield. And I know Decore played, but it was just a bit flat, wasn't it? Uh, I just think, just think we uh, probably need to play four two three one. Would be my guess. Which I stand corrected. I don't recall Carlo. How many times has Carlo played that in his eighteen months? Not yeah, too many. Or fifteen months here. Not too many. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably at the top of your head. That would be the, the solution I'd, I'd put in. Um, but then, but you see, what happens there then, fellas? You just solve one problem in case and all that. That going back to the Richarlison thing, he's obviously not playing up front, is he in the four four two or something like that? He's out wide left, which is not necessarily somewhere where he wants to play at the moment. So it, it's 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 a difficult one, as you say. It's it's probably Carlo's biggest biggest test, I suppose, tactically for this season for him. The core is just gives us something that nobody else does, and um, he'll, he'll be he'll be sad loss. And as Adam said, quite rightly, it'd be good to see him in the cup final, but it's effectively <laughs> it's, it's effectively a season over, isn't it? Really, it does uh, it does appear like that, Gav. Yeah. Um, Prenna, moving on to more sort of difficult injury news. Uh, we spoke about him on on Tuesday, James. Um, Carlo basically saying that he doesn't expect to see him back until the after the international break. Uh, and that he was quite keen to dispel some rumours doing the rounds about his fitness, saying that he's he's not really for a while been 100% and the decision was made um, by all parties to wait until he was back 100% uh, to avoid risk of, of, of greater injury. Um, I, I, you know, I, I guess you'll support the decision, but it's, it still doesn't sort of negate the fact that we what we were talking about on Tuesday and that he's... You know, it's frustrating that he has missed missed games. It was an interesting decision because he actually conceded in the press conference that he had played against Liverpool at 70% fitness. He had played at Manchester United, um, a similar level of fitness. And if you bear in mind, at Anfield, you know, he, he changed the game by creating the opening goal and at Old Trafford he scored a goal. You know, so he was, he was heavily involved. Um, so I think they've obviously decided that by getting him 100% fit, they can obviously avoid you know, the, the potential for further injuries between now and the end of the season and hopefully see an even you know, sort of more effective Hamas Rodriguez. You know, if he's available for the last you know, half a dozen games, say at absolutely peak fitness, 
great. I mean, I know it's a gamble. You can never actually say you know, that with any certainty. But it, it was quite surprising because, you know, just given the influence he's had on games, I've, some managers might have chosen to play him for an hour uh, over the next few games, certainly on Saturday against Burnley, who we know are going to you know, defend with a flat back four and a you know, very deep lying, you know, sort of midfield four. And we will need to try and break them down. Um, and, you know, players like Hammers are the best players we've got at doing that. So it, it was interesting, but they're doing it clearly because of the other uh, players' own best interests. Maybe that is why Hammers Rodriguez wants to play for Carlo Ancelotti everywhere he goes, because he knows that that is, you know, a, a manager who will look after him, who will, who will care for him, if you like. So you know, maybe part of that comes into it as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's disappointing because we love seeing him in action, but, you know, we're going to have to accept it and wait that when we do see him, hopefully he is, you know, absolutely all guns blazing and flying and we see the very best from him. And I think I think he used the phrase in the press conference that when he is fully fit and, and looking ahead to next season, I think Carlo describes him as being the difference. Um, and I suppose that the policy that Carlo is, is adopting now with 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 Hammers in, in, in a taking care, uh, you know, it says that he's not going to panic about where we finish necessarily and it's not a, a case of, top four at all costs it's this season will play out as it plays out and next season we will you know we're doing everything to, to make sure we're as fit and ready f- for next season um but i just wonder adam you know james you know he's had the injury issues and missed some games and you know look he, he, he'd be 30 i think in the summer you know and, and, and naturally players of that age unfortunately do start to pick up more injuries carlos has spoken about two to three signings in the summer that's all we'll need is somebody on the right hand side a right winger? Is, is, is you know somebody to offer that support, that backup, that alternative to Hammers? Is that something that we need? I would say so because I would still prefer to see Hammers Rodriguez as much as Alex will. We won't want to hear this. I'd rather see Hammers Rodriguez <laughs> used in the uh, used in the number ten role. To be honest, you know, you know when he played uh, in that in that sort of. Not exactly in that role, but you know, in a central sort of role against Liverpool, obviously he proved himself to be uh, very effective in setting up for Charleston for that for that opening goal. Uh, his goal against Manchester United as well seems to come from you know hanging around that central area as well. So I just think he does he does most of his best things for Everton when he's you know in the middle of the pitch. You know, we we can still have him on the pitch for you know like wide set pieces and stuff like that, which is which is good, but I think just giving him that central role just allows him that little bit more freedom to just go, you know, kind of play in that sort of sort of mould to go and do what he wants. So in in that sense, yeah, I would say that having having somebody there who can be, you know, a consistent sort of performer on the right wing uh, is is something that Everton do need. You know, we've tried Alex Awobi there and, you know, unfortunately it's just it's just not been consistent enough, in my opinion. So I would I would say especially, you know, you're coming into the summer, uh, and you know you're losing another winger in Bernard. Let's say you uh, nearly left in January. You know his quest- his future still massively under question. So you'd you'd probably expect him to leave in the summer. Everton you know, will have Anthony Gordon coming back, of course. But I'd, I'd say there was probably a little bit of a, a little bit of a shortage of wingers from Everton, and it's you know somebody to you know come in from that right flank, maybe with their left foot. You know that's something that we've been. Seem seemingly been after for a good what two two or three years, something like that. So, yeah, I still think that's that is something that Everton need. Just because I, I wouldn't really consider Hamish Rodriguez as a long term option on that right hand side. I would say that was probably a good way to get him into the team when he first joined. But I think he's he's definitely more suited to being in that number ten role. So 
somebody to somebody to fill that gap in the side, I would say definitely should be a priority. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, any any thoughts on on look? I don't know. We, we, you know, we're a way off the summer window in many respects, but, you know, Carlo mentioned it last week, two to three signings is all we need. You know, is, is a right winger one of the, one of the three that you would, you would be keen for us to go after? Or Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I think we said that on uh, when we podded Tuesday, was it? Yeah, right back, right winger, uh, definitely. Um, third one, you could, you could pick several positions, couldn't you? But the, the, the entire right-hand side needs a restructuring, doesn't it, for, for, for various reasons. But definitely. I get the Rodriguez thing, by the way. I know I'm sorry about it on Tuesdays. I think when we come back, we don't have two games in a week. Do we phrase it to the middle of May? Something like that. So we're only playing one game a week. So what, what they're obviously saying, would imagine, is get, get yourself really fit and then there's only one game a week then. Unless, like unless, six there's a, seven weeks. unless we progress in the FA Cup and there's a Villa yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that, that's good news, isn't it? You know, um, but I think, uh, yeah, I probably I, I can see why we're doing that with the families. To be honest, yeah, it's eight or nine league games left in in over over a reasonable space of time where you've got loads of time for recovery. So they're probably saying, well, we'll get you for that period. Yeah, but yeah. right hand side definitely, Phil. Yeah, Prano, any thoughts on, on on that before we we move on on? on... God, you know, it feels like we only just come out of one transfer window, but it's always on people's minds, isn't it? You know, and you know, two to two to three signings, um, Carlo says is is what we'll need. Yeah, I mean, it's about his greater judgment. I mean, his transfer window is being well, his transfer window singular has been uh, you know so excellent so far. Um, it's about quality, really, isn't it? You know, we've made the mistake in the past of uh, bringing in lots of players, and it just doesn't work. Uh, you need to identify areas of the team where you can improve with significant quality. And, uh, you know, so nostalgia alert. Uh, go back to McGavin will tell us here. It was Harry Cashman <laughs> had, had his list of 11 players, you know, so his own 11 players and the 11 best players in the country, you know, so that, you know, could play in that position. And, you know, if any of those players ever became available, you know, so you would seek to try and, you know, so introduce them to try yeah. and improve the squad. And, you know, so Carlo will have ideas on which parts of his squad he wants to improve significantly. And he'll wait for you know, particular quality uh, to come out there. I was quite impressed, you know, so during that press conference earlier about uh, the fact that he even knew all about John Philip Gabam. I mean, you know, we've seen, as you mentioned, Phil, 135 minutes worth of football of him, and that's it. Uh, yeah, he was aware of him, obviously, from his time in Germany. He knew about his qualities. You know, he does, obviously, you know, his, uh, his research and his, his groundwork. So he knows the kind of players that we need. Two or three sounds a little bit conservative, you know, so to me, I'd maybe like to see, you know, so a little bit more than that. But if that means, you know, we get greater quality in those two or three areas, fine, I'll accept that all day long. And of course, it's, it's, it's whether it, Carlo has been literal in terms of it's two to three on what we've currently got, which of course, yeah, yeah. our goalkeeper's on loan, isn't he, to, from Roma? Yeah. Josh King's out of contract in the summer. So perhaps perhaps two or three may turn, turn into four or five uh, before we know it. Um, let's move on then to the game. Saturday night, Goodison. We're back at Goodison. 5.30 ad. Burnley, um, the, the game that kicked off the Ancelotti era. Um, we wrote about it again this morning. You know, a game with Sidibe at right wing. It was a different time, wasn't it? Um, how do you think, how do you see this one going? Carlo, very complimentary about Daesh and Burnley. I like their style. I think he's probably the only person that's ever said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
how do you, how do you see it panning out, especially with no hammers? Especially with no hammers. Yeah, I think it was really interesting. They didn't Ancelotti talk about Burnley, wasn't it? You know, talking about them, you know, not trying to invent football with their with their sort of four four two. You know, it's it's you know, in a in a way, it's what it's what Carlo's been trying to introduce to Everton over the last you know, year and a bit or so. You know, especially in defence, uh, he, he thinks that four four two is the best way to uh, to set up as a defensive unit, and that's you know that is, that is how he set up against Burnley in his debut game. Four four two in defence, but I think it was more like a three three four one two or something like that in in attack. I seem to remember it was a very it was a very fluid sort of system, and obviously he's introduced that over the over the coming uh, months and years as well so uh it'd be interesting to see how that develops in terms of this game in in general yeah the, the missing hammers is going to be a big one i think because i, th- I don't think it's going to be any surprise in the way burnley are going to set up is it it's going to be a, very much a as as carlo said sort of a four four two two banks of four you know try and try and break us down if you want to win this game you've got to earn it and uh traditionally over the past couple of years i'd say everton have uh, struggled against sides to just come to Goodison and sit back to be honest so you know having a player like Hammers would have been fantastic to be able to unlock the, that defence uh, and you know it's something that's gone under the under the radar I think in uh, Carlo's press conference he said Gilfie Sigurdsson is going to be facing a late test as well so if we're without Hammers and Gilfie Sigurdsson you know Sigurdsson you know, for, for all the people think about him over the last few weeks and months I think he's been fantastic in terms of his goal contributions I think he's got 15 goal contributions, six goals and nine assists so far this season. So to be missing, to be missing that uh, this weekend would be would be another massive loss. So you know that that would be two of Everton's most creative players taking off the team in a in a game where you know chance creation is going to be absolutely crucial. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Carlo tries to combat that. He said he wants his team to be pressing a little bit higher and you know playing a bit more forwards. So perhaps we'll see a bit of a change in formation maybe towards as gab said maybe towards sort of a more four two three one sort of sort of formation to just get a, a few more players further up the pitch uh but I, I i can't i can't see this being anything other than a different i don't think this is going to be an exciting game of footy at all to be honest i really think this is going to be a difficult sort of <laughs> attritional sort of game uh you know not too dissimilar to the to the one nil that we had over southampton uh, a couple of weeks ago, so that's all West so Brom, yeah, uh, all West Brom, of course. So let's just hope we get the same results out of, out of this one as we did in those two. Gav, I, I know previously in, a, in, a, in a, almost what feels like a different era now, we would talk about these games and go, the start's important, set the tempo, create an atmosphere. Obviously, there's no atmosphere on Saturday, but for me, yeah. and I don't know if you agree, the start still is vitally important because in those games where we've struggled against sides that we should not have struggled against Newcastle, Fulham, etc. It's been slow starts and it's just it's just sort of spread throughout the team and, and, yeah. the, and the performance has never recovered. Absolutely felt lethargic, isn't it? I mean, see that compared to say the Derby at Anfield, where we started on the front foot from the kickoff, didn't we? Uh, one of probably the earliest corner kick in Derby history, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was interested in Kai. I mean, I said I didn't. I, I've read his uh, comments at the press conference. He said about pushing up, more in reference to Calvert-Lewin, didn't he? I think he was saying um, getting further up the pitch. I'm just wondering, that's also about to counter Bernie. I don't think against Bernie, one of our centre-halves packed in the middle of the penalty area, really. 
I don't think he'll want them to give an opportunity to Bournemouth tomorrow because uh, we know what Burnley's stance are with all due respect and the type of players that they've got. Uh, so I suspect they want us to play up the third up the pitch, A, to press them and B, to stop them sort of getting getting an hard area, you know, with long balls and, and taking it from there. So, and, and Calvert-Lewin is struggling, isn't he, a little bit um, with service. And I think some of that, as, as I think he was saying, is is to do with that as well, is to get, get in around Calvert-Lewin a little bit more. So I'm just wondering whether that maybe points to a little bit more of a change in formation where we've, we don't have a flat four in midfield. We've had like three, three strikers, three players in and around Calvert-Lewin in the box. Mm, interesting. Uh, Prenner, what are your thoughts on how this has got to go and how do you think it will go? And I'd like to disagree with Adam and say it's going to be a, a lively, wide-open game, but I can't. Um, <laughs> you, know, we, 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 we know what Burnley are going to do. I mean, the only thing that gives me a little ray of uh, hope is that Burnley at Turf Moor are a very different team to Burnley away from home. I think their last five Premier League games they've drawn at home, all very, very tight, nil-nil and one-one. Away from home, they got battered at Tottenham 4 nil, and then went to Crystal Palace and won 3 nil. So does that suggest a slightly different approach away from home? I say I'm grasping at straws, probably not. Um, I think they are going to come and just like try and sit as deep as they can. And with, as you mentioned, that creativity of Hammers and of Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know, possibly uh, taken out of the equation, it's going to be tough to try and break that down. We may be relying on set pieces again, and we know how good you know, sort of Burnley can be at de- defending and attacking set pieces. I worry a little bit that it's got like that Leeds, Newcastle, uh, you know, West Ham vibe to it, uh, where we could get caught, you know, if we don't concentrate as you know strictly as we should do defensively. I mean, Carlo says we seem to defend or concentrate more away from home than at Goodison. But equally, you know, maybe we can do another Southampton. You know, so one of those kind of games where it is going to be tight, uh, and you know, we can just you know, so nick the goal or the second goal. You know, when it matters, as ever, the start is crucially important. And if we can score early, that changes the game. You know, the game is a completely different match then, and can, you know, we could have a a four 0 type Tottenham game. You know, so if, if we can somehow you know sort of persuade them to come out of their defensive shell. But we've got to do that first. So the start is all. It's got to be intense. It's got to be, you know, so absolutely focused. We've had a bit of time to recover uh, from Monday. You know, so there's been like a, a decent period uh, to focus and go again. But it's a very important game. I mean, in light of what happened on Monday night, we need to win this really. Uh, otherwise, people start dismissing us then as, you know, so certainly top four candidates and maybe even European candidates if we win the game. It's definitely alive again then. People are just thinking in the back of their heads, oh, Everton, what could they do next? So it's a very, very important game. And uh, it, it'll be tight, certainly. But, you know, so I'd like to think we'll have just enough to see it through. Yeah, I agree. I feel, it does feel like a response is 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 significant, doesn't it? It just, just lets people know that this won't be uh, given up without a fight. But, uh, Adam, um, we, we said we'd talk about it briefly before the end of the pod. Uh, and Preno mentioned the Southampton game there. Obviously, we, we did a piece with... Uh, Davide Ancelotti this week where he, he admitted that uh, uh, he was talking about challenging the manager's ideas and, and said he disagreed with the tactics for the Southampton game but had to admit defeat and that his dad had got it right. It's funny, it's funny that, isn't it? To, to be like the internal conflicts that must uh, that must happen with, with things like this but I think, it's, I think it's quite good to see, isn't it? You know, you, you, you don't want, you don't want Davide Ancelotti to just be a yes man in the background and just going, oh yeah, oh yeah, dad, you you go and do whatever you want. You know, he's he's there, he's there for a reason. He's assistant manager for a reason, and you know, I, I do want him to be a 
putting across his uh, his his tactical mindset, and I hope he does. I hope he does for the for this game as well, because I think you know while the while the tactics did did you know, work against Southampton, we did get a we did get a win. It wasn't exactly the most convincing of victories, was it? So you know, I think there probably is cause for a little bit of a tweak here or there to try and get Everton to be you know a bit more. A bit more attacking in the especially these home games, as Preno says, you know, we've we've let we've let things slip against the likes of Fulham, Newcastle and West Ham in the past, uh, in matches that we really shouldn't have been beaten at Goodison Park. So, you know, the, the it does feel like there needs to be some sort of change in tack with without fans there, there is there is some sort of the only thing that we can change is, you know, our, our tactics. So we've got to we've got to try and find some sort of way that we can break break these sorts of teams down so you know a, a home game against Burnley is probably a it's probably a good way to try and do that the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo Gav it's almost like we we'd planned for the pod co- to come full circle and, and neatly join at the end but we didn't um we, we, we talked about you know why, why is it will be not uh, not broaching carlo yeah. is he too scared of him well i don't know if you had a chance to read the davide piece but um he oh. said he said you know as, as you've read then you know open discussion before every game and, and davide saying it's important to challenge my father to keep him young up here <laughs> yeah yeah you started off by quoting the famous brian clough piece didn't you phil i think yeah, yeah. we talked about for 20 minutes and decided i was right uh, all good managers in any trade these days. It's 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 uh, not just football. You you invite you invite feedback, don't you? you? Invite ideas. You know, ultimately you're in pole position to reject or accept them. So I think any any good manager does that. I mean, good managers in the past did that, didn't he? I'm going to go up Keno here and stuff. Talk about Colin Harvey and how when Howard Kendall was there. You know, we, we we spoke about that last summer, didn't we? When we were doing the pods about the the early 80s, you know, um, you, you, you also it's up to you to make the final decision, but all, all good managers invite invite comments and, and criticism, not criticism, but, you know, um, things that maybe think that that should be done better as a way, it's just a way of improving standards, isn't it, ultimately, and that's what everybody wants. So I, I think that's good, and that's what you would expect from Carlo. Um, and there was one bit that I thought that was interesting. Did, did he say Carlo likes to play games every three games, three days? That, uh, that was that was the line that I fed in. Carlo said that before. Yeah, yeah, he said, yeah. He, you know, he, he yeah, says, uh, oh, I, I, "I like games every three days." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought that was quite interesting, wasn't it? Really? Um, yeah. But going back to the original point, yeah, that's what you would expect a, a top manager to do, and, and and all all good managers now have. And people who, who who will feed stuff into not just on the training ground. You have all like stats guys and all that behind the scenes, don't you? And you know, uh, and so it's 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 very much a, an information driven uh, role now, isn't it? Really, those days of standing on the scene and pitch on your own, dictating everything to everybody is uh, is long gone. And managers employed that I think don't don't survive anymore, do they? In, in football. And Preno Davide, as as Gav was alluding to, they're saying that you know. Uh, 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 almost until maybe the final session before a game, maybe this afternoon, Friday afternoon, the players are due to train, weren't they? Maybe up until that last point, Carlo tends to take a, a backward step and observe, and he lets Duncan and Davide take the sessions. And um, I, I don't know, do you, what's your perception of Davide? You know, I think obviously he would be aware of this, you know, people raising eyebrows, pardon the pun, when he's... <laughs> <Yeah>. when he <laughs> 
when he when he comes with his, with his, with his dad. But he seems to, have, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time in his company, but he seems to have made a very good impression. He's, he's a, by all accounts, I've never met him, but I, I'm, I'm told he's a, a lovely, lovely person. He always stops to chat to my daughter when she works in a waitress on her shift. He's aware that she's a big Evertonian, and they always have a conversation. Um, and on the training pitch, but he comes across uh, as like because Carlo's got such you know sort of big personality and a big reputation. It's almost like you know, so he's always in the background, and you always imagine you know he's there because of his dad. When clearly, you know, he isn't. He's clearly a very, very impressive and talented coach in his own right. Um, it's always been the case that you know, so most football managers, you know, sort of canvas opinions and listen to other people's opinions. When you were talking before about uh, you know, so managers bouncing things off each other, I was smiling to myself just remembering when uh, Walter Smith once said to me about um, he played Michael Branch up front in one game. I forget what it was. And um, he, you know, talked to me afterwards. He goes, "Oh yeah, yeah." Some idiot listened to his assistant manager Archie Knox in that one and decided to play Michael Branch up front on his own. That was a mistake, wasn't it? So you know, so <laughs> managers do listen to their assistants and do sometimes put their uh, ideas in, into action. That's the reason we ended up with David Junola uh, because Archie Knox saw him absolutely tear it up for Aston Villa reserves uh, right at the end of his career and thought he could still do a job for us. Clearly, clearly he couldn't. Um, so yeah, you know, so, <laughs> David is clearly, you know, so going to have probably more influence on, on his dad than some other coaches will be because of who he is. You know, so you might listen to him a little bit more, but you get the impression that you know, so Carlo will always decide, as you, you know, made with the Brian Clough illusion. You know, so he is the man whose decision goes. But I'm pleased that you know, so there is. You know, a brain's trust, if you like, and they're all listening to, you know, so different points of view. Duncan Ferguson's part of that now as well. In the past, he wasn't, you know, uh, certainly under the Marco Silva era. It was suggested he was, um, you know, sort of sidelined to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, his, his views maybe weren't listened to as much as he would have liked. Uh, that's not the case anymore. You know, so they put things out amongst themselves and discuss things, which is a very healthy way to run a football club. Bottom line, there is, is one man who makes the decisions, and once he's canvassed all those opinions, he decides what's right because the book stops with him. You know, so he loses his job if things don't go well. Uh, so it's 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 reassuring though to see that we've got you know sort of people in place that you know are impressive and that seem to be you know uh, doing the job particularly well. And also pleased as well that you know that you got that interview for a start and that we actually see a little bit of insight into the machinations on the training ground because football clubs too often are closed shops and you know sort of put barriers up. I mean, I think the fans, you know, as our numbers show, you know, appreciated that story and actually enjoyed it. I mean, it's sad now, modern journalism, but, you know, we actually can monitor things by engagement time, how long people spend on stories and the numbers of people actually reading them. And so we know people that really relish that story and enjoyed the level of insight that was in it and spent time on it. People want to know what's going on in their football clubs. And if it's a positive story, as it is for the fellow that's impressive with David Ancelotti, why not get it out there and let the fans read about it? So yeah, a good news story that. And can I just, 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 just sorry. Go on, Gav. So I was just going to ask has he got aspirations to be a manager himself? Do you think? Um, I, I, I assume he does. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's not uh, it's not something I, I I've asked him about directly. But I, I assume. No, he does. no. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes people volunteer that. You know what I mean? Just uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there, won't it? That he's obviously a very you know, gifted guy. Yes, absolutely. Um, not not just to, not to labour the point, but Prenner, when you're talking about managers um, canvassing opinion, you'll know this better than anybody. 
why can't I imagine Mike Walker asking for anybody else's opinion? Because <laughs> <laughs> Mike knew it all. Mike was a football genius. Of course. <laughs> no, he, he did have his, uh, his, his assistant there, Dave Williams, who, uh, who came with him uh, from Norwich. But yeah, Dave was very much a number two. He would always be in the background. And uh, no, Mike Walker, he knew the loss, you know, so he, he decided what was going to go. And, uh, that's we've yeah. wasted enough time on him already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, okay. Before we wrap up, predictions time. Adam uh, Everton versus Burnley at Goodison Park at five thirty tomorrow. What's it going to be? <sighs> I really want to try and avoid the obvious, but I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go one nil. Uh, I, re- I really just can't see this being an exciting game of footy at all, and I just think that one goal is going to be able to swing it, and I think you know. Uh, as we were talking about before, I think it's really important that Everton do try and bounce back from that uh, from that Chelsea game. I still think, you know, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front have got a, a yeah, bags of quality. So I think that quality will eventually show through and hopefully hopefully get Everton a 1-0 win. 1-0 to the boring, boring Blues. Um, Gav? <laughs> well, for that, being at a... Uh, you've got to hate me for these two, two oh. stats. There, oh, there yeah. hasn't been a, a goal... <laughs> There hasn't been a goalless draw between the clubs in the league for a hundred years. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just sorry, yeah. I just like to, I just like to apologise to all listeners and all the Tony. Yeah, yeah. That makes it a hundred to one shot, Gav. A hundred to one shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and also, Burnley have never won at Anfield and Goodison in the same season before. Oh, so, yeah, you know. So therefore. But having said that, Burnley have only scored eight goals in 13 or 14 Premier League away matches. I know he scored there, Crystal Palace. They don't score eight from ball. So, for all that bluster, uh, I'm, I'm going to. Can I copy that? But I tell you what, I'm going to go tune up for the Mighty Blues because I think, think, think for all this talk, I think uh, about penalties and stuff, I think fancy us for a penalty tomorrow because, as we all know, the great penalty revolution in football has largely bypassed us this season, hasn't it, really? Um, as per usual. So two 0 and with a penalty. Well, if it's with a pen, Prano, and given that uh, given that there's no like, well, possibly no Sigurdsson, um, does that mean Mr. Richarlison steps up as he's at Selhurst Park to take them? Or I hope not. I hope it's uh, Dominic Carvert Lewin uh, who steps up to take them uh, as he did for England that time and like pinged one in the top corner. Richarlison at the moment is like such a. A curate of a player. He looks brilliant, and then he looks like you know sloppy in the, in the same moment. Uh, for me, the turning point on Monday, you know, apart from the, the goal we conceded early doors, which was unfortunate, was his miss. And I, miss is being a bit harsh, maybe, uh, but you know, it was better than a half chance. You know, so that he managed to like slice and, and he put it wide, and uh, that could have made it one all. And who knows? And yet he scored four games in succession prior to that. So you just don't know what you're going to get from him at the moment. I think we're going to get a decent uh, performance from him uh, on Saturday night. Uh, if we do get a penalty, I think Calvert-Lewin will be the guy that will try and grab it away from him and pop it away. And we got told off on their social media last week about these podcasts by a fan saying, oh, why aren't you realistic in your predictions? Uh, I mean, our predictions are hopeless. We know that. Apart from Adams, who was spectacular at the start of the season. Um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> ride, I'll ride the coattails of this all season. I don't think I've got one yeah. since, since probably like the third but game. We're getting told off because we're all of us, you know, either predicted draws or I predicted a victory at Stamford Bridge. And, you know, basically laughing, saying, where's your realism, fellas? No one, you know, we all thought we were going to get beat at Chelsea. Why don't you just say that? 
apart from the fact that it's an Everson podcast and we don't want to be on you know negative if we have to be I think we are you know so relatively realistic and you know so relatively upbeat in terms of our predictions um so I'm going to say seven nil. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say stick with Gavin. I think. I mean, yeah, you've got to have me one nil or the set piece. But I'm going to go with Gav, and you know, so I hope we can score that early goal that we crave and then build on it. And yeah, another one in the second half. It's two nil for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it could be a bit of a repeat of uh, Boxing Day 2019, Carlos' first game. I think it could be a bit of a grind, and then we'll we'll find a breakthrough. But how we do it, I don't know. Maybe a set piece, even against a team as well organised as Burnley. But we shall see. Hopefully, it is a victory as we've all predicted, and hopefully, it's three points in the response after Monday night at Stamford Bridge. Chaps, thank you very much for listening. Great pod. Uh, thanks for your insight, terrific as always. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, stay with us across the weekend. Uh, some interesting from Carlo that'll be uh, on the website uh, this evening and in tomorrow and in, into the build up towards the game. Then Adam and I at Goodison covering the match. Uh, so follow us Saturday night into Sunday, all the fallout opinion and reaction from hopefully a victory for Everton. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.